Do you need help protecting your finances as you enter retirement? David Dickens of KC Financial Advisors has got you covered. Welcome to the Cover Your Assets KC podcast. Glad you're with us today on the Cover Your Assets KC podcast. Walter Storholt here with David Dickens, President, Wealth Advisor at KC Financial Advisors. Today we're talking about eight key steps to organizing financial records. If you missed the past episode, the, the most recent one, go check it out. We talked all about different documents that you need to plan successfully based on what stage of life you're in. So we broke it out from your 20s and then to your 30s and 40s and then for 50 and above. Those were the three sort of categories that we discussed. Well, once you get all those documents, among all the other things that you have going on in your financial plan, it's probably a good idea to get organized with it all. So that's the inspiration of today's show. David, I love it. Can't wait to hear all of your organizational tips because you're one of the most organized people I know. (laughs) Hey, well, you know what? Personality type that I am, I really appreciate you saying that, Walter. Thank you. You're welcome. I I, I just can tell just from your preparation for the show each week. So... Well, so the the thought of of this particular podcast is we have annually, we do a shred day for our clients. We have a big shred truck that comes to our parking lot. And from nine to noon every, every, uh, oh, this one happens to be May 17th, Tuesday, May 17th. As you're listening to this podcast and you say, wow, I'm not a client, but I wonder if I could use that. Yes, you can. It's totally open to the public. So swing by the office with your, with your boxes of stuff and we'll shred them for you. Which things to shred? Stay tuned, because that's what we're going to talk about. That's a lot of what we're going to talk about today. Well, as I said, eight key steps to organizing those financial records. So let's get to the list. David, what's the first one? Yeah, so uh, the first one is investment statements. I've mentioned on this podcast before, we do, we do taxes. Amongst the other things we do for our clients, we do taxes. <laughs> I just met with somebody two days ago who came in, pick up their taxes, relatively simple taxes, but they had brought in each monthly statement from their TD Ameritrade account last year and the 1099 that TD Ameritrade sent to them. Um, and it's really common. I have, a, I have a number of clients who have kept statements, monthly statements from on their brokerage accounts for a long time. And my encouragement to you there is, so obviously the 1099 comes in February or early March, and that lists all the meaningful tax-related activity that happened in your account in the prior year. One reason why we used to keep old statements is because we used to need to know the cost basis. If something was in a taxable account and you wanted to qualify for long-term capital gain, you had to know how much you paid for it. After 2011, all custodians are required to maintain that for you. So if you don't have any taxable investments that were purchased before 2011, I honestly can't think of any reason. There may be one, but I can't think of any reason why you would want to maintain monthly uh, records from your broker-dealer, from your financial advisor, or from your custodian, Fidelity, TD Ameritrade, Schwab, any of those people. Most of those, for instance, if a client comes in and says, hey, Dave, for some weird reason, I need my statement from TD Ameritrade from October of 2018. Well, we just go online and download it for them and get it. So those are archived by these custodians, and it's pretty darn easy to go back and get them. What you really need is a good shredder at your house 
or a financial advisor that offers a free shred day <laughs> once a year. But don't lug those things around. They are, I can't really think of any use you would have for those. And you know what? Someone breaks into your house or you're carrying around your briefcase and somebody steals your briefcase, that's one more piece of information that somebody has to steal your identity and get into your, get into your money. So I would shred those babies as soon as I review them. And if I ever needed one, historically speaking, I know that I could go get one. That's pretty helpful. Okay, I like that. So get those investment statements organized and uh, taken care of and uh, shred them up. So what, uh, what about number two? What's the next key step? Bank statements. So you might want to retain those. Frankly, most banks, most credit unions, my, the credit union I use, they'll give me statements back. I can just go online and get statements back as far as I can. So my inclination here is to, first of all, I get my bank statements electronically, and then I print them if I want them. So I don't have printed paper on these coming to my house. And I'd encourage you to do the same. If you happen to need paper, Honestly, once you reconcile your bank account each month, I would hit, throw that in the shredder as well. What I would encourage you to do, and I, I could have mentioned this prior with investments as well, but so a lot of things are going online these days, and I think it's awesome. But there are also a lot of bad guys online that are trying to get into your accounts. So one thing that most financial institutions and most financial custodians of your of your stocks, bonds, and et cetera are going to do is offer you something called two-factor authentication. And if you haven't put that in place, I'd strongly encourage you to do so. So what is that? Well, for instance, when I'm logging into my credit union account, I put in my username and password, and I click start or go, and they send me a text to my cell phone with five or six numbers that I input just to verify that it's actually me. So if someone happens to have my username and password, well, they're still not going to get into my accounts and move money around or move money out because I have dual factor authentication in place. That's the same thing that we use at our office when we log in to look at <laughs> everything we do. Uh, but that's becoming way more common. And if you, have a, uh, if you have financial companies in your life that offer dual authentication, don't, I encourage you, don't pass up the opportunity to get that set up. You don't need the paper, throw it in a shredder, do as much of that with logins as you can. Just make sure your, your stuff is hiding behind two levels of password security. Very good. Yeah, that two-factor authentication stuff can be very helpful for those who are nervous about having online accounts and online uh, passwords and those kinds of things. So great that they can make those advancements to put people's uh, minds a little bit more at ease. All right, what's number three of eight, David? Number three would be your tax records. And so we get a lot of questions on this. How long do I have to keep these? <laughs> I'm a little bit guilty of this too. But the, the, the longest you need to keep tax records is six years. But that's only if, if, oh, frankly, I take that back. You need to keep them forever if you didn't file a return or if you failed a fraudulent return, if you filed a fraudulent return. Well, if you did those, you're probably not listening to this podcast. So for, for our audience, really, you could probably do with just three years of tax records Unless you've had something like um, maybe you've um, 
claimed a deduction for bad debts, or maybe you had a loss on some securities that became worthless. Then you'd want to keep those records for six years. But in most, in the vast majority of circumstances, if you just keep your last three years of tax returns, you're going to be good. And the rest of them can go in the shredder. That's easy enough and good to remember. Yeah, the less tax records I have to keep on hand, the better, uh, as those things take up a lot of space. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It's amazing. And uh, especially yep. all the collateral, uh, the, the stuff you had to put together. To, it's not just your, your 1040 right. yeah. and the other, the other forms. It's all the stuff you had to gather up to create the tax forms. Yes. Very, very big point there. All right. What about the fourth key step? So related to that is what about documents related to my current tax return, my current year's tax return. There are, so this is vivid in my mind because yesterday I met with a gentleman who came in with a shoebox full of documents. 90% he didn't need for us to prepare his taxes. And the reason is a couple of years ago, Congress raised the limit of the amount that you get on a standard deduction. Very few people higher net worth, you know, bigger mortgage you have, bigger piece of real estate you have, which has higher taxes. Those are people that are still going to itemize. But the vast majority of Americans no longer itemize because the standard deduction has gotten to be so big. If the things you used to itemize, and if you're married, filing jointly, if they don't amount to, the number goes up each year, but this year, if you're over 65, maybe it's 27800 bucks. If you're medical, your dental, your taxes, your contributions, if those things don't add up to more than 27 grand, you don't need to keep receipts for anything. The IRS just gives you 27,800 of deductions just for showing up with a pulse. So most people, especially most retired people, unless they run into a health problem, there is no way that they're going to have $27,500 uh, of deductible items. If they're a really good giver, hopefully they're using a qualified charitable distribution and they don't need to itemize that either. So lots of different ways to get around maintaining all of these documents that prior to a couple of years ago, you did need for itemization. You no longer need it because the standard deduction is so big. So if you keep those things, don't bring them into your tax preparer because they're not going to use them. That's great to know, David. All right, we're halfway through, four down, and how about number five? Well, number five is what I'm going to call difficult to replace documents, like, for instance, birth certificates. Maybe you probably you might have your original Social Security cards, marriage records, deeds to property, car titles. Maybe you were discharged from the military, those kind of things. Those, you have a choice. You need to retain those basically forever, maybe in a safe deposit box at a bank or a credit union. I gave up on the safe deposit box thing a number of years ago, and I just use a fireproof box in my home. For those people that are, for those documents that are important to me, but if someone breaks in and steals them, I mean, honestly, other than my social security card, they're not, it's not going to be of particular help to them. So a fireproof box at your home, or maybe a safe you have at your home, is perfectly great. If you feel better about a safe deposit box at a bank or a credit union, go do that. The one thing I would say about a safe deposit box is, if you have those important documents, including maybe your estate planning documents, 
and you have them in a safe deposit box and you die, well, somebody has to either has to have the key and be a joint owner of that. Maybe that's your spouse. But if you're the second spouse to die and your heirs need to get to those documents, they're going to have to have a court order to get into that safe deposit box. So just be super careful as to how you set up your safe deposit box ownership and who has keys if that's the way you're going to protect those difficult to replace documents. Helpful to know that, David, because um, I can just see that being you know, a hassle to lose those things, but also not necessarily the end of the world. So kind of use your own level of comfort of how, how difficult you want to make it to access those things, right? Yeah. And how difficult you want it to be on your heirs. Uh, I mean, a lot of times, <laughs> like we spent in our last podcast about um, beneficiary designations, well, you don't really have to do anything, but it makes it super difficult on your heirs when they have to clean up all the financial disarray that you had in your life, in addition to grieving your loss. So, you know, the more, honestly, the more organized you can be, then it's way easier on the people that you leave behind when you go to the next place. And um, it's just, there are a lot of loose ends I've seen being cleared up and that I've helped to clear up that honestly, it was needless to have to do that. And it's just kind of the way it happened. Very good. All right, five down, and uh, let's get to another one. What's our sixth key step? Well, this is kind of related to the difficult to replace documents, but wills, powers of attorney, other estate planning documents, if you use an attorney, then they're going to have copies of that. If you have a financial advisor, they might have copies of that. If you keep them in your safe deposit box and you didn't set up a secondary owner, they may, the people that need those documents may have difficulty getting in. You might keep them in a fireproof box at your house. You would just want your heirs, your powers of attorney, those people to know where those documents can be found. Maybe if you have a really good family relationship, maybe you give copies of those documents to your key heirs, definitely to your the executor of your estate, um, probably to the person you've named as your power of attorney healthcare or financial. So those are documents that you want to be easily found once you're gone. And maybe you put copies in the hands of the people that are going to be responsible for executing on them. All right. Easy enough for those. Glad those were tied together a little bit. Number five and number six. Two to go. What about number seven? So home improvement related documents, you most listen, well, frankly, maybe you don't know this, but you get a, a a, uh, an exemption on a capital gain that you have in your home. It's like 500 grand for, for married filing joint people. And whatever you paid for the house, plus whatever you spent to improve or upgrade it, that's the cost basis on your home. And so what you just as soon have happen is when you sell the house, you don't, own it, you don't owe any taxes on that sale. So you would want to hold on to those types of documents and the documents that were originally included when you bought the house You'd want to keep those at least as long as you own that house. And better safe than sorry, shred them a year after you sell that property. Yeah, I actually uh, really appreciated this. Not from a standpoint of uh, home improvement uh, documents being saved for my you know, for, for my own benefit, this was actually the previous owner of our house kept very meticulous documents of all of the upgrades that they made to the home and passed those on to us when we moved in. It was really neat to see when they did the addition to the house with the, the with, they built a garage and a mother-in-law suite above it. It was neat to see how the designs actually started and then how it ended up. Oh. 
and it's that so, is really fun. It's so funny because I'm look the whole time that we've lived here until I found that that particular document. I always said, why didn't they put the laundry room <laughs> in this in this room? Like, there's this perfect storage room that looks like it was intended to be a laundry room, but there's no laundry hookups in there. Instead, they put it in a really weird location. And I found the original design did have the laundry room in that room. And for whatever reason, they decided not to put it there and they moved it to a different spot. And it's in now in like a really inconvenient location. I'm like, ah, oh, why didn't they keep it like it was supposed to be? <laughs> <laughs> in any event. So, uh, but it was at least interesting to discover the history, a little bit of that. So pretty neat to that's what's the cool about when you hang on to stuff like this it's neat to look back and and years later and you uncover not necessarily just the home improvement stuff but even from some of the other records it's interesting to look back on some of those things uh i can imagine looking back on your bank statements from a decade or two decades ago and looking at what you spent your money on back then right probably very yeah well keep uh pdfs of those up in the cloud somewhere and and not in a filing or a box in your basement that's right exactly good point all right what's the last key step to organizing financial records so the last is receipts for for particularly valuable items you might have and this really boils down to um for insurance purposes or if you had a fire or a theft or uh, a tornado ripped up your house and you're trying to explain to the insurance company well Here's what I had. Here's how much it was worth. Here's the replacement cost for this kind of stuff. One idea that I've I've heard about for decades, and I, because you know back when camcorders were invented, but now you could do it on your iPhone. I personally, full and fair disclosure, I have never done this. But one thing that you can do, and maybe should do, is I mean, if your house burned to the ground, you're like, well, gosh, well, we had the couch, we had the oh, the curtains and the and the this and that and the other that that an insurance company is happy to replace. You just have to know what they were. So if you had a video, a walking video of your home or pictures of your key rooms, that would of your home's contents, that would be a dramatic benefit to you trying to reorganize your life after something major like that happened. So again, I don't have that in place. I know people who do. And the probability of your house getting destroyed by a by a hurricane or a fire or a tornado is really remote. But if it does happen, records like that uh, would be super important to putting your, your, your physical life back together. That's helpful, David. And uh, again, a great way to cap off our list of eight key steps to organizing financial records. And we will recap this list in the show notes section of today's show if you want to see it in writing so you can kind of have a quick reference guide to go along with the episode. So definitely go check that out. If you've got any questions for David or need some assistance assembling all these things together, uh, this is the kind of conversation that David has with you during the planning process, making sure that you're not only well organized financially, but then it all fits together in a plan that's going to get you to and through retirement and take care of all of the major questions that surround your financial future. To get in touch, you can do it a couple of different ways. One, give them a call at 913-317-1414. Go online to coveryourassetskc.com or email ddickens at kcfa.com. And we'll put that contact info in the description of today's show again so it's easy for you to find. David, thanks for the assistance and the help on the show today. Enjoy the walkthrough and uh, we'll look forward to chatting with you next week. Yeah, and just a final reminder, that annual shred day for KC Financial Advisors, May 17th. You don't have to be a client. You just got to show up between 9 and noon at our office. And if we can help you by throwing a big couple of boxes of stuff out of your basement into the shred truck, please swing by. And it's just kind of fun and satisfying to watch things get shredded, too. You know, there's... (laughs) 
There's like for sure just a small little uh, sadistic element in all of us that just loves things. <laughs> things get shredded on their way in there, so a little bit of a satisfying event too. Uh, fantastic, thank you, David. We appreciate it. Talk to you in next week. Sounds good. New episodes every week. Come back and join us once again right here on Cover Your Assets, Casey. Investment advisory services offered through ChangePath LLC, a registered investment advisor. ChangePath LLC and KC Financial Advisors are separate companies.